John chapter 20, and we're winding things down, and so you know some sense of direction with me as a pastor, and I'd like to inform you, uh, it is a goal, and I believe it will be achieved unless the Lord shows differently, and that's fine with me. But the first of the year, we will be beginning another book, and this book should be concluded by then, and with the time in between, there will be a couple of different messages and so forth. But we are winding things down in John's Gospel. We've come to John chapter 20, and I've entitled the message this morning, Jesus Calms His Disciples. Jesus calms his disciples. And let me open up with a, a comment that often we think, especially when it comes to believers, that believers don't have any fears. Really. Let's be honest. We think, you know, what's, get over it. What's the matter? What type of fears could you possibly have? You're saved, you know Christ is in control sovereignly, you know that you've got a great future, and it's very easy, you know, the famous, and it's true passage, but to use, you know, all things work together for good, you know, don't fear anything. And uh, we just don't think Christians have fears, and we don't think that Christians have feelings, and we think Christians don't fail. And uh, when we do, we don't want anyone else to know because we think that uh, we're weird. Uh, we are something that's in the exception. And we get these false images. And we put even Christians in a box and so forth. And the bottom line is, look, you should just trust God and, you know, look at the scriptures. No, none of them feared. Really? Well, I think our text this morning shows us something a little bit different and hopefully can encourage us. Because I will say right at the outset of the message, not only is the Lord able to calm his disciples, he is able to calm any storm that comes into your life or mine. He's a great God and he's always there and always knows the beginning and the end of things. As we have come to this context, let us be reminded that Jesus Christ has already been crucified, obviously, buried and risen from the grave. But to put that in a little perspective, also his disciples have scattered. They have scattered. Remember, they left him. Peter denied him and so forth. And where are we in our text? Well, as far as the day goes, it's pretty self-explanatory in verse 19. And when it was evening that day, the first day of the week, we are still on Sunday. This is still resurrection day. So much has taken place, but we're still in Resurrection Day. Let me remind us that there have already been some appearances, physical appearances, of the Lord Jesus Christ this day. <clears throat> he has already appeared to Mary Magdalene, as we have studied that. He has appeared to other women. He has appeared to the disciples on the, uh, not the Damascus Road, but the Emmaus Road, and he has also appeared to Peter at this stage. So before we come to our text, he's already had those appearances. So you would think, right, that today or back then what should have happened is what we might expect <clears throat> is that all the believers and disciples are running around rejoicing. 
and praising God. We've, you know, the Savior's been seen, and it's Resurrection Sunday, and uh, just praising God. And, and not only that, they should be involved, if anything, in a celebration, right? They should be celebrating and having a party, and, and it's wonderful. You would think that because Jesus Christ has been resurrected, and he's been seen by some that now they're really strong in their faith and they're boldly going out and, and preaching the gospel and they're going door to door and they're witnessing at Dunkin' Donuts and they're, they're going and they're doing all of this stuff because they're, they're so strengthened in the Lord, right? By now they must be so strong that nothing could shake them, right? You would think so. That's the way we sometimes think. What was the reality? The reality of fear was there. What was their state? Look at verse 19. They were assembled together. That's good. They're together. However, they are behind, according to verse 19, they are behind shut doors. Some have translated that, and it can be translated that way. They were behind locked doors. They're gathered together. They're not running door to door. They're not in celebration. They're behind locked doors. Why are they behind locked doors? There's no guesswork on this at all. Look at verse 19. They were there as disciples for the fear of the Jews. They were afraid. It's Resurrection Sunday. The Lord's been seen. Why were they afraid? Well, let me try to put in some perspective for you with things that we've already learned. Number one, their leader, the one they have followed, the one who they have spent so much time with, Jesus Christ, has been crucified. <coughs> or to put it bluntly, he's been killed. In their mind, they've lost their leader. Secondly, we already learned in John, go back to John chapter 9 for just a second. John chapter 9, verse 22. This was the context of the healing of the blind man, but in verse 22, it says his parents said this, that is, they said, go ask him, because they were afraid of the Jews. Why? For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. That meant the disciples were under that same threat. They knew that their leader had been crucified. They were under the threat of being thrown out of the synagogue. They had further, go to John 15, don't forget this one. I believe this is part of it. And I don't know about you, but I get curious as I study and I want to know, how were they thinking, what was going on, if we can find out? I think we can find some of the things out. We know that was true. We also know that this was true. In John 15, their leader, Jesus Christ, specifically said this to them in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, and they did, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Brief summary. 
What have you got? You've got a situation where he's been crucified. There's warnings out. And Jesus Christ himself said, look, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. They did persecute him. And now they know what? Persecution's coming. Your life is in threats. It's a reality. Further, and I won't turn to this one, but in Matthew 28, if you want the reference, in verses 11 to 14, by this time, what had already taken place was that the soldiers who had witnessed the resurrection had been bribed. And so now already by evening, there is a rumor going around that the body of Jesus Christ has been stolen. And it was stolen by his disciples. So they've got all of this, whether or not that was in their thinking, we don't know, but this is a reality. What we do know is they're in jeopardy for being able to go into the synagogue. Their, their uh, leader has been crucified. They know persecution's coming, and they have probably by now heard the rumor that's going around that they were the ones that were guilty for stealing the body. And what happens? They just rejoiced, and they just praised God and said, well, God's my strength. They got behind closed doors, and they locked them. Not only that, but by this time, Judas Iscariot is dead. And so what have you got? You've got a situation where his disciples are nonetheless probably confused. Why would they be confused, Pastor Dan? Because of what I already said to you. Peter, who is there, has seen him risen. They're confused. The body got stolen. Peter's seen him. He's resurrected. Others have seen him. He's resurrected. They didn't know what was going on. They're in a state of confusion at a, at a minimum. Is there doubting? Absolutely. Some of them are doubting. Is Peter's story true? Is the other soldier's story true? What is going on? And what were they doing? No doubt, as we go on in the text, they were fearing for their life. They were really afraid. Now you would say that, why should they be afraid? Jesus Christ said that he was going to die and he was going to be risen from the dead and three days he'd be risen up. They have been told this. They've been encouraged. All of this was to take place because they are human beings as well. And even believers have fears. We have fears. Even though we know what the word of God says. Even though we're given instruction. And they had the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what else? Oftentimes, we would not want to say this, but oftentimes we look strong on the outside when inside we are petrified. Why? Image. We don't want others to think we ever get afraid. We don't, you know... Uh, whether that be with death, whether that be with something that happens to us physically, whether it be that something that happens in the family, whether it be whatever, finances, doesn't we go down the line, and we know we're supposed to be trusting in the Lord, we know the word, we know he's there, and, and yet, so inside, we're falling apart, and outside we're saying, everybody, how, how are you doing? Oh, fine, it's great. Right. You see, we don't want to admit it. Because we, why? We think oftentimes that if you have fear as a Christian, well, maybe you're not a Christian. Or if you have fear as a Christian, well, you're a second-rate Christian. And you're not walking with God. None of that is true at all. None of it's true at all. 
And these disciples were in real fear. Whether or not I've hit the nail on the head or not, we know that those things were true, that they had happened, and we do know that they are behind doors together, and they're afraid of the Jews. So they're afraid of their life. Now for the text, who was there? Well, Judas isn't there. He's dead. Thomas isn't there. How do we know Thomas isn't there? Well, we're not into that part of the text yet, but look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them. So put that aside. He's not there. That narrows it down to at least 10. However, probably there were others there, in my opinion. Why? Now, commentators will go all over the place with this one. And some say it was just the 10, and they'll, they'll call it that this was the appearance of God, uh, Jesus Christ to just the 10 disciples. Personally, I don't think that's true. Why? Go back to the response of reading in Luke. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24, in verse 13, you have two of them were going on the very day that very day, resurrection day, to the village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were on their way. Now jump down to verse 32. Down to verse 32. And they said one to another, these are the same two, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking uh, uh, to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Now, obviously, it's ten by now from John's account. Yes. But when they came back, there was eleven, saying, The Lord has really risen and appeared unto Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he rec they recognized him by the breaking of bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. And so what, are, what am I saying? It's very possible, it, it could be, that there was just the ten at this particular moment in John, but I think it's more likely that when at least the two from the Emmaus Road were there and other disciples, as it says in the context, were there, and somehow Thomas stepped out. He stepped out. We know that only because it's revealed in verse 24 of our context. So whether it's the 10 or whether it's more is not the significant thing, but I think there were possibly others that were there as well as we compare the accounts of the Gospels. But they were in fear. Notice the encouragement that comes in the peace and joy that's brought through the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 19 and 20 of our text, it is Jesus that causes the storm to be calm. Let me pause right here. I'll repeat myself again. But to say he is the one that can cause the peace to be there in our heart. The storm to be calmed of the circumstances of life, of the reality of salvation, as I'll deal with that in a moment. It is Jesus Christ who is able to calm us. We know that the scriptures say many of the children are given this passage right away in Psalm 56, verse 3. It says, when I am afraid, help me, I will trust in thee. Do we? Do we? 
Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we are afraid. But that's a good reminder. I've know, I know that I personally have shared that with my children over the years when fears have come to them. When there is fear, we're to trust the Lord. That's the same as adults. We need to look to the Lord. And who is it that can calm our fears? It is God. Their real expectations were probably that coming through those doors were going to be some Roman authorities or at least some Jewish authorities because that's who they're afraid of. Maybe the temple guards, I don't know. But they're afraid that someone's going to come through these doors and put them under persecution. And so they gather together. Instead of the Jews coming, though, what happens? We have Jesus Christ himself coming into their midst. He appears to them. And in verse 19, it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. It is Jesus Christ. He came in the middle of them. I want you to note a couple of things. First of all, a physical resurrection again. He is resurrected. He is alive. We serve a risen Savior. That is his uniqueness. There is no other religious leader on the face of the earth that can claim that. Jesus Christ is the only one, and that is why we have hope beyond the grave. We serve a risen Savior. It's a physical resurrection. Now, did he pass through the walls? That's possible. You say, well, that's the only possibility. Well, it's not the only possibility. It is possible that the doors were opened for him to go through, but still that would be miraculous. You say, in what sense? Well, in Acts chapter 12, if you want to compare it on your own later, that's what happened. As the disciples were released, the doors were miraculously opened so that they could have gone through. We don't know. Most of the assumptions that's made by commentaries or by us is that he came through the doors or through the walls. Uh, and that's possible. Uh, that's irrelevant. The real point is that it was miraculous no matter how it happened. Because they had shut the doors and they locked it and it is a real risen Savior and he's in their presence and he's in their midst. They thought, according to the text that we read for a responsive reading in Luke chapter 24, that it was a spirit, that it was a ghost, if you will. They didn't believe that it was really him even when they saw him at first, and they didn't want to believe. So what, is, what happens? Well, we'll look here, and then I'll go back and look at 24 in Luke again, but look here first. And when he had said this, peace be with you, and I'll come back to that, he showed them both his hands and his side. And his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What was the identification? The identification was the wounds that he had suffered. They saw that it was a real body. And they saw the wounds and they recognized. What does that mean? How come they didn't just recognize him? Well, obviously it's a changed, glorified body. But the Lord Jesus Christ still bore the marks. Now, personal opinion here again. I think John is very significant. And I think if we remember that John's purpose, and we're going to come to that again in this chapter, is that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is the one identifying mark of those three that's the most significant? Anybody? I'll take a volunteer. What? No. Huh? His side. Many people got crucified. 
They could come in and show them hands and, 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 and nail prints in the feet, but they can't show them the sign. Can't show them the sign. See the specifics and how significant the death of Jesus Christ was? Not only that he wouldn't break any bones and that fulfilled prophecy, but the piercing of the side. And when we get to Thomas, that's what he's going to say. Put your hand right in my side. That distinguished him from the other two that were on the cross. That distinguished him. They knew there was no doubt. Is this a mirage? No, they thought it was a spirit. Now go back with me to Luke chapter 24. You see, this is all encouraging and all significant. In Luke 24, if you pick it up in verse 41, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, they were still joyous and amazed. I told you, it's kind of a little confusing here. He said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Now, please don't go on often. You should only eat fish. Uh, you should only eat meat. They should don't. That's not. You're missing the whole point. The point is, they brought the fish to him. He took it and he ate it before them. He's going to do this again, by the way. But right in the midst of that, he took a piece of fish and he ate it. Why? To show him it's a real body, a physically resurrected body. And in the resurrection, there is going to be a new spiritual body differently equipped, equipped for heaven, but able also to eat. And there will be fruit trees, by the way, in heaven. So there's no doubt, it's not a ghost, this is not a spirit, this is not their imagination gone wild. This is the real Lord Jesus Christ who was seen by those women, who was seen on the Emmaus Road, who was seen by Peter, who was seen by Mary Magdalene, and now is seen by the disciples, be that ten or more that are there. And they are able to physically touch him and see and identify him. And the encouragement that he gives them is one of, notice, we come back to this now, peace, verse 19, and it says, that they had joy, verse 20, they rejoiced when they saw him, and now they understood. And what calmed them down from all the fears that they had? It was the resurrected Savior. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that calms us down from the storms of bad news about a job, bad news about your physical health? You know, it's really sad when you see a situation where someone has no hope they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, look, you got cancer, you've got a week to live. And they have nowhere to look. But who can bring the peace? It's still discouraging. It's still fears that come on a believer. But who can bring the peace? It is Jesus Christ and him alone. And I come back, first of all, even to peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 1, it says that Jesus Christ is our peace. He is the one that is able to give us peace with God. You may be wrestling. We are all sinners and have come short of the glory of God. And you may be wrestling with trying to know whether there is God, whether there isn't a God, whether or not you're right with God and not even sure and have fears about death or whatever it may be. The only one that can bring that peace and relationship with God is Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2.
Ephesians chapter 2, get to the heart of the matter, picking it up in verse 14. Isn't this great? For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is what? Our peace. Watch. Who made both groups, in the context it's dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcision and the uncircumcision. You can look at that on your own. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so he says, <coughs> who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, and in the context that is the law, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law, there it is, there's the context, of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in he, or in himself, he might make the two into one new man. Who's able to bring the Jew and Gentile together? Who's able to bring the circumcision and the uncircumcision together and to establish peace? It is Jesus Christ, verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body, watch, to God. How? Through the cross. What happened? Let me explain it. By it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar away. Far away from who? God. Where's that peace that can settle your soul? Why is it that people can pursue in life positions of authority, Hollywood-style lives, millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and still not be satisfied because that never reaches the soul. But he himself, through the mechanism of the cross, nailed it dead. Sin was paid. The enmity that existed between God was paid. And when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time in their heart, they have what really counts, and that's peace with God and a relationship with him and become one with him because of Christ. He goes on to say, verse 18, and through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see, the whole concept of peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. And it's also true, going back to our context, for the believer. That's the unbeliever. Peace with God only happens by coming through Jesus Christ. But what about the believer? What is it that settled them and gave them peace? What is it that caused them to rejoice? And what can cause us to rejoice in trials? Were they really afraid? Yes, they were. But seeing the presence of Jesus Christ... And knowing that he was alive, you say, but I can't see Jesus Christ. But you can know he's alive. And you can count on his word. And you can find the peace with God. Not only the peace of God, the peace, uh, excuse me, the peace with God, but also the peace of God. Go with me to Philippians chapter 4 for just a moment as believers. What about when we face the practical trials? the things that cause us to be fearful, the things that give us anxiety. You know, people go through all types of anxiety, panic attacks. 
I can stand here as a pastor and tell you that I've had them. I've had panic attacks. I know what they're like. They're real. I know what it is to fear, even as a believer. And you say, well, not very spiritual. I guess at the moment I wasn't. But what is it that calmed my heart? What is it that will calm your heart? You know where it is. Verse 4, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord it always, 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 even in the trials, yes. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And I wanted to go back to that purposely. Rejoice in the Lord. Know that the Lord is near. And then he says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. That is, don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Why? God's still in control. He's still near. And rather than that, but in everything, you see the priority of prayer? In everything, by prayer. I've been trying to emphasize that to you as a church, as a people. By prayer and supplication, but don't stop there. With thanksgiving, knowing he's in control. Let your requests be made known unto God. He knows what's going on. And now it says the peace of God. We have peace with God as believers, but how about for the circumstance? How about the situation? That peace, notice, it is that that passes all comprehension or all understanding. And that will guard our hearts and our minds. Why? That's where the battle is. Where do the fears come? Inside. Where does the fears come? The thinking and the process of the thinking as it's influenced by the things we hear or the things we see. But what can bring us back and even as a believer give us peace? And what was it that really gave them peace? It was the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's there with us. And we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's what brought them peace and what brought them joy. And what I'm trying to say to you, I believe in your personal walk as the trials and tribulations come as the discouragement, as the fears that you don't want anybody else to know about, come, that are really there. What will calm the storm? The Lord Jesus Christ, resting in him through the trials. At a minimum, it'll help you to understand what James chapter 1 is talking about. This past week, we were praying for Dem and so forth. I, I went and I met with Dem and we had some time together, and as we talked, we ended up talking about James chapter 1. And we know, theoretically, and we know, we have knowledge that the trials are there to help us to grow. But when we don't understand, what do we do? It's the same thing. We came back to that. We can rest in God. We can pray to him, and we can know as a believer that it is going to be used to strengthen us and to encourage us. The Lord Jesus Christ encouraged them, yes, physically. And certainly it helped them to rejoice. They had real fears. They were fearing for their life. They were fearing the Roman authorities. And certainly we know from the context, the Jewish authorities. And it was real to them. And they knew who the Lord was. And some of them had already seen him, but there was confusion. But the reassurance of knowing that Jesus Christ was there, and he could say that to them, peace be with you. Calm down. I'm still here. Calm down. 
Now, there's another aspect to it. I can't open it up. I, was, I have it in my notes, but it's going to have to wait till next year, next week, not next year, <laughs> till next week. Not that long, we hope. But next week as we deal, because there's a, there's a couple of things I want to address there in the, in the giving of the Holy Spirit that I think we need to understand. But at least be encouraged today. That who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ was the one that calmed the storm for the disciples. Whether that was 10 or more, he calmed them down. They saw he was real. And our Savior is not our imagination. It's not some spirit, though God is spirit, but it's a real person that came and took on a real body. It's a real resurrection. It was a real body that is able to eat, that is able to talk, that is able to be touched, and still uniquely bears the wounds of the cost of our salvation of which we just celebrated. And he is the only one that for you today who don't know him can honestly and truly give you peace with God. And fellow believer, though our spouses might understand us well, though our children might understand us, or our parents, our grandparents, another believer might understand us well, the only one that's truly able to give us that peace in our heart and calm the storms that come into our life, and yes, even the fears that are there, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he is there. And he will never forsake us. And we can go to him because we have such a great high priest, as the scripture says. And it isn't that he can't be touched with our infirmities because he was not always tempted like we are, yet without sin. And we can go to him in time of need and find help. Isn't that wonderful? And peace to settle our hearts. What a great savior. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that we can look at this historical account today and see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, see the fear of his disciples and how he calmed them down, and then we can go our way without it having impact. But Father, help us to see the depths of what the Lord Jesus Christ has for us here how that he is our peace, the only one that can give us peace with God. And I pray that if there be any be here this morning that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'd open up their hearts from any fears that are going on inside that others don't see, any emptiness that's there, and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, we know, if we're honest, we all go through trials. We all go through tribulations. We all honestly sometimes put on a facade. When things aren't what they should be and when we have the fears, we still try to make people think that we're in control when inside we're fearful. We're anxious. We're worried. But Father, help us to see that we can also have the peace of God in our hearts because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, because of who you are, because of who we are in Christ. And Father, help us to come in prayer. Help us to have our hearts and minds calm down with the peace that surpasses all understanding as we come to you in prayer with thanksgiving, knowing you're in control. Lord, just give us that assurance and give us that peace that we truly might rejoice even as the disciples did on that Resurrection Sunday 
and then have the boldness to go forth as disciples of Christ to be a light to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.